And then we have an expert in the studio, actually. Yes, Professor Sarah Rathburn, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We're a pleasure is all ours. What's your favorite kind of rock? Well, I'm going to give you two answers here. My favorite kind of rock, rock, geology rock, is granite, and you can't take it for granite. Oh, good one. <laughs> but I also like hard rock. Me too. I'm curious, why is granite your favorite rock? Well, it's very prevalent around here, and it is the composition of a sort of average continental crust. Awesome. Well, that's a good answer. (laughs) Good answer. That's a good question. All righty. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with you. Um, So you're a fluvial geomorphologist, and that's a big word. (laughs) I had a little bit of trouble through it, but what does that mean? Fluvial geomorphology is a discipline that studies rivers and how they shape the landscape. So I am a geologist, but my research focus is rivers and what happens when a lot of water and sediment move through them. So where do you study in Colorado? Which rivers? I'm fortunate to be a fluvial geomorphologist in Colorado because I get to study in a lot of mountain rivers. So right now I have a student working up along the South Fork of the Cache River at the mountain campus. I've also worked on the main stem, Cache the upper Colorado in Rocky Mountain National Park, and the North St. Brain that flows from the park down through Lyons. Nice. Okay. So take us a little bit through your research process. Well, I... I'm fortunate also that I do a lot of my research in the field. So I'm a field-based geologist, and that means going out and actually collecting process-level data of flow and sediment transport. So I care how much water's flowing in rivers. I care the types of sediment that's moving and how much. So I spend a lot of time in waders, and I spend a lot of time in rivers, pretty much from prior to snowmelt to after snowmelt. Do you have any good stories, stuff that happened to the river? <laughs> I have lots of good stories. But only, mostly they're about um, getting wet and <laughs> cold and rivers overtopping my waders. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so it's exciting. And I um, work with excellent graduate students who also enjoy being outside, being in rivers. And being wet and cold is okay with them. Right on. That's good because it sounds like that's pretty common in your line of work. It is. Studying rivers is just that. There's, there's a lot of water. There's a lot of water, and it comes um, uh, in all places when you're trying to make measurements. Absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, what are you looking for? What kind of things can we learn from studying river sediments? What my discipline is, is I call it disturbance geomorphology, and colleagues have called me a disturbed geomorphologist <laughs> as a result. But I really care about how rivers respond to disturbances like floods, fires, and mass movements, and how this large influx of sediment processes, it gets processed through the river. So how it changes its form. Does it widen? Does it increase in in depth? Does it um, meander more? And then how it recovers. So lots of what I do is also looking at the resilience of landforms to be able to, and of river systems to be able to absorb disturbances. Gotcha. And how do these disturbances, in your opinion, affect the natural wildlife population in those areas? So the disturbances fundamentally often change the river corridor. So they can, um, but that can be a good thing because lots of different species like, you know, particular plants are disturbance dependent. Um, But there'll be a short term um, disruption and erosion that takes place that might rip up a bunch of vegetation that could have been bird habitat. It introduces some sediment that may be for fish habitat. But in general, the more complex a river is and the more 
diverse its form and the riparian corridor complexity, the better it's able to absorb those disturbances. So it's a nice kind of feedback that you want river systems that are complex and that they're they're full, diverse ecosystems, and they can absorb these pulses of sediment that come through, be it a fire or a flood. And what happens if they can't? If they can't, then they just they they route it through, and it turns out that they get to be more like a conduit that just transports sediment and water very rapidly, and increases um, some of the the um, sort of resulting effects of those disturbances. And is that how, say, like over long periods of time, like erosion takes place with this kind of quicker? Uh, I'm, I'm not a geologist. Clearly. No, I, I know what you're asking. You know, so this is a really good question. I mean, we we think about how these really rapid events that are infrequent shape the landscape relative to the slow water and sediment moving every day. And it turns out disturbances in this climate they're really big and they give us lots of change to the river corridor. In that they'll 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 do what we call sort of hundreds of years of work over. You know, a four-day period. That's like the 2013 flood introduced hundreds of years of erosional products from hill slopes into river systems. Awesome. Alrighty, and just another question: Why mountain rivers? Why is that what your focus on study is? I think I've been drawn to mountain rivers because the steep gradient that drives the processes um, end up being a little bit more challenging to work in and they respond very rapidly. So it turns out, I mean, I started my PhD dissertation work in steep gradient rivers and I've kind of continued that, though the effects of um, within the mountain river corridor certainly are important for downstream river environments also. Just happens that I tend to be up in the headwaters where um, everything, everything starts, it's sort of the start of the signal of water and sediment that moves downstream. So I'm curious, you mentioned your PhD dissertation, and um, I'm, I'd love to know how, not only did you decide to get into this field and what uh, inspired you to get into this field, but what was the process like? How did you qualify? You're clearly very, very knowledgeable about this. Well, thank you. I got interested in geology a little bit, you know, sort of peripherally, because I it took me a while to realize I liked math and science in high school and I should just pursue that in college. So a couple of false starts for majors, I ended up taking a geology class and saying, oh my gosh, I think I could get paid to actually hike around outside and look at the landscape. And then I, I ended up getting a job with the U.S. Geological Survey right after my bachelor's in geology, and I worked with people working on rivers. And so that opened up my eyes to watersheds as landforms that are really important to shaping the landscape that we see today. And then it just, I kept going back to school and often it was because I would hit some bit of a, a ceiling at a job and I wanted my manager's position and that person <laughs> had more degrees. And so it sent me back to school and just being curious in the landscape, it was pretty easy to continue on and, and then get a doctorate. Rylan Todd has a question for you. Yeah, I had a question for you. Um, what made you come to CSU and like start up being a professor here? So I actually did my PhD at CSU, and I um, feel very fortunate that a position opened up and I applied for it and I was hired. Um, and part of that is I, CSU is a fabulous science program and is school in general, and to teach geology with this background natural laboratory. I feel so fortunate. It's really, really very easy to get students 
absolutely hooked on geology and river systems here. So that was a little bit of a, um, a surprise that I didn't expect to be able to stay here doing my, my dissertation and my PhD work. But yeah, I, I have, and I'm feeling really grateful. I'm grateful for it every day. You could say it's the right conglomerate of factors. It's the right <laughs> conglomerate of factors. It's so exactly. I am a little curious. Um, because you talked about going back to school several times, and it is a little bit of a personal question, but I am curious about what degrees you have. Yeah, that's fine. So I have a bachelor's of science in geology. I have a master's of science in geosciences, and my PhD was in earth resources. Gotcha. Um, so we're about to ask some, some more deep questions, but I do have a funny one for you before we okay. dive into I can these take deep it. questions. So whenever I think about fluvial geomorphology, can you guess what I'm about to say? <laughs> Yes. I think of South Park <laughs> because Randy Marsh is a fluvial geomorphologist exactly and right. he uh, is, you know, kind of the driving force of South Park nowadays. And he's absolutely hilarious and kind of how he approaches his job and everything's really funny. But do you think that that uh, that association between geology and specifically fluvial <laughs> geomorphology and South Park has kind of changed the way the public perceives what you do? Because I, I know it affects how I see fluvial geomorphology. I think probably. So this is there's really some truth is that um, um, uh, Trent's dad is a geologist huh. from, and he worked at the U.S. Geological Survey, and he studied river systems. That's hilarious. So it is hilarious. So he really did figure it on his father's um, profession and career. So what I like to take away from that is that people actually know what fluvial geomorphology is now, yeah. and they used to not. And... Um, it's very funny the the depiction in South Park, and so, <laughs> so so I don't mind, and I can just segue that into okay, let's talk about really what we do, <laughs> and not not what Randy Marsh is exactly. doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's talk a little bit about what you really do, um, and kind of like Max was saying, a little bit of a deeper, wider scale question. Um, how do you feel that climate change has affected your research? It's a that's a great question, and and. I'd directly look at that by looking at disturbances. So we are in a state of very much more increased climate variability. And with that variability means we get these extremes of floods in September 2013 after seven days of rain. And so I'm looking less at the drivers of those climate change and more of the processes that result. So I think about it a lot. And, and in particular, my research tries to always have an applied bent where something that comes out of this is going to help society in some important way. And so after the 2013 flood, I was specifically working with the city of Longmont to understand what this meant for sediment coming down into an important water supply reservoir outside and of the city of Lyons. It appears so, you've been fairly successful. What kind of things have you found so far? Well, we found that, that um, there was a portion of the North St. Brain that over 100 landslides occurred in a 15-kilometer reach that were directly a result of that intense four-day, seven-day rainstorm. Wow. That material ended up being delivered into a very narrow, steep river corridor, and it ended up in a water supply reservoir outside of Lyons. So we're trying to work with um, managers to understand what does that mean for the long term and how can they better manage the reservoir to accommodate this new sediment load. It was a natural event and um, and what it means for resilience. How can they plan for other things that can happen in the basin when they already have this big sediment slug that ended up down in the reservoir? Do you think that there is a way that people can prepare for these that doesn't interfere with natural processes but will still help us prepare for next time this could happen? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another phase of my project is to look at the restoration and how we think about preparing rivers to be resilient, to be able to absorb disturbances. And I mean, one of a big one is just give them room where we can. It's called freedom space for rivers in Europe, European Scientists give that the term all the time, Sounds so that they can, yeah, yeah, and you can picture it so that you give it room to give rivers room to to migrate and to erode, and so that it's not, if possible, you know, destroying critical infrastructure, for example. So there's some places where they just can't happen because there's buried pipelines and there's you know, roads and bridges, but places where we can allow that, we absolutely have to build that in. So humans, we can do a lot. We can really do a lot to allow reverse um, space to increase it, the complexity, the complexity of the channel, what we call the plan form, if you look at it from above, the bed forms, you know, the, the sort of vertical dimension allowing vegetation to grow in right? and and having lots of complexity allows rivers to then be able to take these big events better. And what kind of research are you currently doing right now? Well, I mentioned the research up at the um, Mount campus with a student of mine, but I'm also, um, I have two PhD students and we're looking at um, various aspects of how sediment changes channels downstream. And one happens to be in the Yampa Basin, where some headwater erosion in the um, late 1800s to early 1900s produced a sediment wave that ended up driving channel change and created a big floodplain surface that is now forested with cottonwood. And we feel like this is something that hasn't been examined yet, whereby these sediment waves drive channel change and it allows surfaces to then be vegetated and create these beautiful cottonwood forests. And the other is um, working at Southwest, working on Southwest Rivers, which another PhD student, and we're evaluating the effects of removing invasive vegetation, like tamarisk and Russian olive. So that, both sides of that spectrum. Both sides of that. That's exactly right. And there's a lot of um, nonprofits and watershed coalitions and, and um, federal agencies that are removing this vegetation for various reasons, for habitat to increase channel floodplain connectivity. And by removing that, that's a disturbance in itself. And so if big floods come after all that vegetation is removed, that sediment that's sitting there, unstabilized, is going to move downstream. And what does that mean? Wow. So we're getting towards the end here. Um, you recently, we, we heard of you because you, you got a little uh, little bit of a buzz about you and some, some news publishings on source.com. So now that you got some, some, at least for the, you know, you got some real attention on you and your work, uh, what are your goals? What you want people to know about what you do and what you would like to do and what you would like to accomplish? All right. Well, um, one, that buzz got me on the radio station, so that feels pretty good. Um, <laughs> but what I would like people to know um, about what I do is I'm really trying to focus on rivers and how we can treat them as ecosystems. So rather than just pipes or conduits that move water and sediment, but really as the complex ecosystems that they deserve because we're losing resources as more and more flow gets removed from rivers such that we're never going to be able to return. And um, population growth and increasing water demand means that we, you know, there's times that we have to actually act to preserve some of these rivers in their natural state. So the other thing I'd like people to know is that um, I'm going to Iceland for my sabbatical in the fall because I got awarded a Fulbright. Congratulations. Yeah, so I'll be studying rivers in Iceland and looking at the effects of their afforestation efforts wow. on channel stability. That should be incredible. Yeah, so pretty exciting. 
Alrighty. And if people want to learn more about you, follow your trip to Iceland, or just learn more about how to get into geology like you were talking before about, where can they do that? They can email me. My email is sarah.rathburn at colostate.edu. You can find it on the Geosciences Department website. I'd be happy to talk with anyone who's interested in geosciences as a hobby, as a potential major, as a career. Um, and we are always looking for volunteers to help in the field. So help Kevy carry heavy gear and put on some waders and potentially get wet. Hey, sounds fun. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It has been a real pleasure having you in the studio today. Thank you very much.